0: Grace, peace, and mercy be with you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this day, and be with those who could not make it today or were not comfortable in braving the roads. We thank you that it wasn't, uh, we weren't barred from attending today to hear your word, and we ask that you would bless us and open our ears and our hearts and minds to receive your promises this day, and every day moving forward. In your name we pray, amen. Swimmer, cook, war hero, sports enthusiast, musician, romantic, diplomat, tourist, a dreamer, God's friend. Whose obituary did you think I just read? Could be. Anyone could be lots of people. How about Idi Amin? One of history's most notorious murderous dictators. In 2020, the New York Times ran a series of satirical posters of some of history's worst despots in order to raise awareness of the rise of biased reporting in the media and the rise of fake news. So, for example, there was this poster of Idi Amin I would show you these posters, but they're copyrighted by the New York Times, so I can't. But there was another poster of an old photo of Joseph Stalin on it. And he has an old poster probably taken at his home or something. And his two daughters are giving him a hug. And it read, Joseph Stalin, 1878-1953. Poet, Marxist, war hero, seminarian industrialist, Nobel Peace Prize nominee, pragmatist father. It's supposed to make the person look positive, right? It's a satirical poster. You know, a poet, war hero, father, all that. All, that that's only half the truth though, right? We, have, we know the rest of the story about Papa Joseph, don't we? Yeah, half truths are lies too. That's the, that was the meaning of these posters. And half-truths can be just as dangerous. It certainly was dangerous for the first two people God created when they fell for the half-truth dished out to them by the snake. We know that story too. God told Adam he could eat from the fruit from any tree in the garden that he put him in except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eat from that one, he said, and you'll die. The snake tells the woman, You won't die if you eat from that tree. Well, that was partly true. That was half true. She wouldn't die right then and there, would she? But she would die many years later. And that's not how it was supposed to be when she was made. She was created to live forever on the earth, along with Adam. Satan, the snake, left out the part about her dying later in life. Usually when we arrive at Ash Wednesday or or the first Sunday in Lent, we hear the account of the fall of creation from Genesis, so that that we are reminded once again why everything fell apart in the world, how we got to where we are today, and why there's a need for Jesus to redeem and save the world from eternal decay and death. In order for us to appreciate the resurrection on Easter, we first have to descend into the valley of the shadow of death. And we will do that again this Lent, but today we're going to do something a little different before we take that plunge. Today we're going to look at the world, what the world was like before it fell into sin and decay in order that we might appreciate a little bit more the paradise that we lost so long ago and long for its return. So, if you get your reading out from, in your folder, to Genesis chapter 2, which, by the way, most of what I read from verse 5 on up is not in the lectionary, so i would never read that before in church. You know, there's a lot, there's too much of Genesis to pack into a three-year reading cycle, so the powers that be, I, I, I guess, decided to leave this part out uh, because they, they wanted to get to the good part, you know, the fall. But we're going to meditate on what the world was how Moses describes the world before that happened. Notice in verse 5, Moses says that there was yet no shrub in the field and no plant had come up yet in the field because the Lord God had not let it rain on the ground. There was no man yet to work the ground. So these shrubs and trees or whatever that he's mentioning here, these aren't to be confused with the plants and trees that God had made in his days of creation. This is later. Apparently there was more vegetation to be created. And notice also that there's this mist that waters everything and springs would gush from the earth and water the the surface of the ground. That's interesting. The world was a a little different back then. God formed the man out of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and so the man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And remember, when Moses was writing this, he was in the promised land. We know know that now to be Israel. So what he's saying here is that God planted this garden east of where Moses was writing this at the time, east of Israel somewhere. There he put the man he formed. And that's interesting too. Does that mean God made the man somewhere else? And then like choo, plopped him down into this area called Eden? Or did he make, them th- make him there? It's Kind of interesting, isn't it? God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, a delight to see and good for food. And the tree of life in the middle of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river started in Eden to water the garden. There's another water source there. And outside it divided into four branches. Now, there's been a lot of speculation as to exactly where the garden in in Eden was or is today. Some say because the Tigris and Euphrates rivers are still around today and connect in modern-day Iraq, that's where it is or was. Others say it was in Turkey, very near to where the earthquake happened recently. Those two other rivers mentioned The Pishon and the Gihon are gone. There's no trace of them. We have to remember the flood that would come in the days of Noah would so completely change the surface of the earth. Any attempt to locate Eden today is sheer speculation. I mean, the general location is correct, it's it's definitely not here or in Canada, (laughs) it's over in the Middle East. The same goes for this land of Havilah, which apparently Moses knew the location of, but it is not known where it is today. But notice there was gold there, though. What would Adam and Eve and their children do with gold? Nothing is mentioned about this. It would seem, though, in Moses' day, gold was found in the area around Eden after the flood because you can imagine how the mountains would have just been torn apart by the floodwaters. And after the waters receded and humans started populating the earth again, they probably found fields of gold. The gold was probably sticking out of the mountainsides, ripe for the picking. There was also this stuff, bdellium. What was that? Well, apparently it's a fragrant resin produced by a number of trees, including the ones related to myrrh. And we know what onyx is. I mean, you can still buy tons of that stuff in the gift shops in the Middle East. As beautiful and as valuable as gems and stones are, it seems Adam is made to be the world's first farmer, not the world's first geologist or miner or jewelry maker. God took the man, put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. Eat, he says to Adam. Apparently, humans were also created to eat. <laughs> eat anything you like from any tree here except that one over there. Don't eat from that one or you'll die. Now, for you farmers, you might, think, you might be thinking, well, God wasn't very compassionate making Adam the first farmer by vocation. Farming is hard work. It's toil. It can be painful. But not for Adam. Adam. This work mentioned here was not given to Adam as toil or punishment. It was good work that the man could do. The toilsomeness toilsomeness of it and and the punishment part will come later after he eats from the tree God told him not to eat from. So I know there isn't a lot of detail here about the world before the fall, but the main thing is the fact that the ground supplies the necessary water for the trees and the plants, No need for rain, and however big the garden is, the land is good, and the lands around it are good, even after the flood. Lots of trees to eat from. You'll read later, uh, if you continue reading in Genesis, you you continue reading about the animals that come to Adam and Eve. They're not dangerous, but everything is in harmony, the way God made it, and it was good. This is the garden paradise, my friends, that you and I have been denied as a consequence of the sin our first parents committed. They listened to the half-truth of the enemy. They bought the lie, believed the fruit from the forbidden tree was good to eat. And so they did. They ate it. And they died. Not right then and there, but they, they died a few hundred years later. And you and I will also die as an inherited consequence of that. We have left the garden. Well, we never got a chance to enjoy the garden in the first place. There are places on the earth now that are echoes of Eden, shadows from the past. You can enjoy beautiful sandy beaches and warm tropical climates. You can run barefoot, barefoot through fields of green grass. You can hike through forests of all kinds. Yes, there still is beauty on the earth, but unlike the way it was in the beginning, today it can kill you. And even if you live off the fruit of the land, you'll still die from disease or just age out when your body shuts down. Figuratively, we leave the garden, but life will come with the one who was promised while our first parents were literally still in the garden. The promise of more life will come through Eve and her offspring. Her children and their children and their children will produce kings, prophets, and regular people who get little to no mention and eventually lead to Jesus, son of God the Father and son of Joseph the Man. Jesus, our Redeemer, who lives and promises to return and make the earth new again. Perhaps the new earth won't need rain like this one did when it was new. Perhaps water will again gush forth from the springs and the mist and the river and water the trees that we will eat from. For now, our life is one of hope, anticipation of this new world, and of repentance for our sin, of dishing out half-truths to hide our real intentions, get the things we want, get people to do what we want, among a litany of other crimes against God and each other. Our life on this old earth is also one of faith because we've been given faith to believe in the promise of Jesus. And we trust in Him who forgives all our sinful half-truths and other crimes. Jesus is the sinless, perfect, full truth. There's no hiding part of the truth from Him. We hide in Him. We take refuge in Jesus. Jesus, refuge of the weary, right? Half-truths won't get you halfway out of the parking lot, let alone trying to navigate this life using them. Only the full truth that is Jesus can bring life and life forever. He is the whole truth in the flesh. So let's continue walking with him as he walks with us on his full-of-truth journey journey to Jerusalem to die on a cross for our release from sin, death, and that old enemy, the snake from the garden. Amen.